Hey guys, welcome back to the Unfortunate Sandwich Podcast. I am your host, Isami Dane, and it is the last podcast before Halloween. Halloween, as you may know, is my favorite holiday, so I am obsessed with all Halloween. The more Halloween, the better. Give me all of the fall drinks, minus pumpkin spice from Starbucks. I'm sorry, I do not like you. I know, it is like a sin. I don't mind the ones from Dunkin' though. Those ones are okay. The syrup flavor thing, whatever, is a little much. So usually what I get is a vanilla latte with one pump of the pumpkin spice syrup, and that's just enough for me, and it's good. Now, I do really like that uh, apple crisp drink from Starbucks. Get that with oat milk, and whew, it tastes like you are eating a or drinking one of those apples and oatmeal, you know, those Quaker Oats things, the apple sugar, spice, cinnamon, oatmeal bowl things that you can get for breakfast. Obviously, what we're going to be talking about is going to be with a ton of trigger warnings. But in today's episode, I wanted to talk about the popular series Squid Game. And no, it's not Squid Games. (laughs) It's Squid Game. I had a friend actually made a Facebook post about that the other day. And he was like, guys, it's not Squid Games. Just like it's not Targets. It's not Kroger's. And it's not Walmart's. I was laughing so hard when I saw that because I'm pretty sure when it first came out, I was calling it Squid Games. But it is Squid Game. If you don't know what that is, it is a Netflix Korea series that came over to the US and became literally the number one streamed show. Considering the fact that South Korea is predominantly a Christian religion oriented country. So when they started mentioning things about religious abuse and religious trauma, I was surprised because I don't feel like a lot of American shows talk about that, but it was it was very captivating for me when they started talking about that. There is a girl in there specifically who was in a very abusive home. In the show, she talks about her childhood, what her father would do to her mother and he was a pastor and he would sit and pray and ask God to forgive him of his sins. He would do things to her as well as a child, which they didn't explain what he did to his child. She just said unspeakable. I'm assuming it was sexual abuse, but it could have also been physical, either one or both. If I'm not mistaken, how I understood the script is that she killed her father defending herself. And this was after he had killed her mom. Throughout the show, there's mentions of religious abuse. And you know what got me thinking after watching this show is that I feel that religious trauma extends so far, is so widespread. I think it's a lot more common than we think in our own heads. And I'm saying that because I was one of those people who used to think it didn't happen that often. I thought I was the exception. I thought that people like me didn't exist or there weren't many people like me who had been through these types of situations. And if you remember from our first episode, I genuinely didn't think there were a lot of you guys out there who understood what I was talking about. And the more I share, the more I realize that there are people like me who have been through similar situations. Some are completely different, but in some way were involved with religious trauma. I'm noticing that it's so much of a common topic that it's even showing up in a Netflix series that is literally number one across the globe. There is no way that that topic is a minor topic or doesn't happen very often unless the screenwriters knew that people would be able to resonate. 
when I think about that, it's heartbreaking because I realize that when you and I share our stories about religious trauma, religious abuse, we are not alone. And I've said this many times on these episodes. The best case scenario is that whatever I talk about on this show is some opinion of some lady that you have never met. You just think, well, uh, that is something I've never heard before and hope I never hear again. But the fact is, it's not like that. And there are so many of you that resonate with my story because you've been through it yourselves. Is this a global thing where religious trauma, religious abuse is a problem? And not just in South Korea, no matter where you're from. I would love to know if this is a common issue. I I know I've gotten letters and, and emails from some of you guys who are around the world. Some of you are from New Zealand, Australia, Philippines, all over the place who have shared with me some of your stories and I'm just appalled at some of the things you guys have had to go through. And I'm not saying Christianity is bad. Obviously, I'm a Christian and I don't think it's a bad thing. But sometimes I wonder if certain people are attracted to certain types of religions because they know they can get away with things that would otherwise be unacceptable in a different scenario. For example, some of the stuff that happened even in my church growing up, whether it was my piano teacher or things my dad did, if a school principal, even at a public school, was caught doing something like that, they would end up in jail. That That's it. Like the accountability system, and I'm not saying it's perfect. Obviously, you see stories about coaches all the time who get arrested or teachers even, and it's just absolutely disgusting. But what happens is once that gets discovered is these people go to court. Unfortunately, in a lot of the church scenarios, when someone gets caught, and I was talking with my husband about this this week, actually, I don't know how many times I've heard the illustration of Joseph and Potiphar's wife being misused. I remember as a kid growing up going to these churches, even churches that would sponsor my parents, where a pastor would get up there and yelling, can't even breathe because he's so hot-headed, but he's up there in behind the pulpit slamming on it, talking about how these young teenage girls are wilding around after these older married men and they can't control their hormones. And what they do is they uh, create scenarios and if the pastor doesn't like them, they get mad and they create a ruckus and tell their parent. Back then I thought, wow, these pastors go through so much. And I thought about it as an adult. I thought, Wait a minute. Teenagers whiling around going after adults. First of all, why are you alone with these teenagers? Second of all, why are you not telling their parents? If a teenager was coming after me as an adult and doing inappropriate things, I'm going to tell their parents. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. And that kid probably needs to go to therapy because something has happened to them and they probably need help. So the first thing I'm going to do is go and tell their parents, if I don't think their parents are safe, I'm probably going to call Child Protective Services and make sure that that child gets the proper care that they need. If they are mimicking what's happening to them at home, then they need help. That would be my first response. Protect the kid and make sure that they're in a safe environment and make sure they get help, not get mad. Their kids told their parents, what, in what world, I'm sorry, like in what world is it okay for you to keep something like that from a parent and then when the cat's out of the bag, 
you get all hot-headed, upset, slamming on a pulpit, angry that the parents found out. Something seems extremely off to me there. I have no better explanation other than to say that you're probably caught and you were guilty, and that makes you mad because you have a wife and you have a church who pays your salary full-time, and you have loyal people who boost your ego and literally think you're an angel and think nothing of themselves but worship you and your God status at this church. And so the second you get caught with something, you have to cover up your tracks and make yourself look like God again. There is a problem. But if our public school systems and our government run can send coaches to jail for inappropriately handling students, I think the exact same standards should be applied to a church. The fact that it's not is what baffles me. This is the very reason why me as an adult, I no longer attend churches who do not have an established security system in place. What I mean by that is they have to have an accountability system. If someone gets caught with a child, there has to be immediately action. Law enforcement must be called. There has to be measures put in place so that things like this are not easily going to happen. Things like cameras, things like making sure there is a background check fully run on every single staff member that works with children, making sure that there's background checks run on anyone that deals with anyone who's vulnerable. These are so important because people that know that churches are a playground for them prey on places like this. I'm not saying just because you don't have a security system in place or you have a smaller church that everyone in your church is like that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is predators look for churches that don't have accountability systems in place. They look for places where it's easiest to target and they're going to go after your kids because they know that there is no one holding them accountable. This goes the same with pastors. I've seen so many churches where a pastor gets voted in on a, on literally people raising their hands, a yay or nay. He'll preach three times, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and a Wednesday night if you're a good Baptist church, and he'll come in the next Sunday and they'll vote him yes or no, and that becomes their pastor. Not doing a single check to make sure if he was running from another church, not doing a single check if he's embezzled money from another church, and also making sure that he has had no felonies or any type of sexual misconduct or any abuse findings with him and a former spouse, or him and his current spouse, him and his children, him and adopted children, none of that. And it's so frightening to me that this is not held to a higher standard. And this is the types of churches I grew up in. So even the churches I visited, there were 100%, 100% sexual predators that were there. There were churches that I went to, there I was forced to sit on the pastor's lap as he would tickle me. It made me uncomfortable. I'm like 12 and 13 years old. Why does a grown man need to be touching me, a total stranger? That's inappropriate. It doesn't matter if there's nothing sexually explicit going on there. A stranger should not be touching someone else's child, especially if I'm telling this person to stop. That should have been the end of it. And what I never understood was my parents were standing right there. I understand that parents repeat cycles. So maybe that's what they were taught growing up that was okay. Maybe things like that happened to them, but it definitely was not okay with me. I've actually heard people get angry when people talk about their past trauma and they talk about their abuse with the church. They'll say things like, well, don't talk about it because if you talk about it, what's going to happen is people are going to think all churches are that way. 
Friend, people are already thinking all churches are that way. Whether they share their story or not, there are so many accounts of abuse, whether it's the, the Duggar family or religious leaders who have been caught doing things. Christianity, or I should say church, the church as a whole has already gotten such a terrible reputation. There are literally people who are terrified of walking into a church. They've already had these opinions because it's probably already happened to them. So if you really want people to stop sharing their story, here's what needs to happen. Before you raise an eyebrow, it's probably not what you've been told by other pastors before. Don't create an environment where that can happen. Don't allow abusers to stay in your church when you know, when you know they have a track record. Don't base it off your friendship. It doesn't matter if that person was nice to you at some point in life. Most abusers are. Most abusers know that they need to have an ally. So a lot of pastors will have pastor allies who will back them up, lots of them. And they're gonna sound like great people until you're the person that's abused. So if you don't want victims to speak up, if you don't want victims to talk about their abuse, don't allow this stuff to happen. Create an environment where it is so uncomfortable for abusers to stay, whether it's frequent background check, Yes, it's going to tap into your budget, I understand. Is it better for you to have new carpet in your church? Or is it better to know that there is not going to be someone 30 years later coming to your same church telling you that you did absolutely nothing for them but hurt them and they want nothing to do with God because of you? Which do you want? At some point, you're going to have to make a choice. You may be listening to this podcast and your pastoral staff or you may be on a leadership team Please take this seriously. I know you want to think well of everyone around you. Everyone does. No one wants to think ill of the person they're serving next with. I'm not saying go into every church service, point fingers at everyone, and tell them to confess all their sins they did to you this week. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is create an environment that fosters accountability. Create an environment where there is a required, a required course of action to ensure people are safe. It's dark, I know. No one wants to know. A church pianist molested, abused, took a little girl back to her apartment and abused her until she couldn't remember where she was, confused and bleeding the next day. By the way, if you're wondering who that kid was, it was me. There are kids that grow up that want absolutely nothing to do with God, the church, Jesus, because they think it looks like their abuser. And I don't blame them. They have every right to think that. They have every right to think that God is angry with them. They have every right to believe that because that's all they were taught. They have every right to think that God condones abusive relationships because that's all they were taught. They have every right to think that God turns a blind eye when someone is being sexually abused because that's all they were taught. I understand I'm an anomaly. What I mean by that is I understand most people who go through my situation don't believe in God anymore or frankly want nothing to do with the church. For obvious reasons. I get it. I'm not saying you're a bad person for not going to church. Please don't mistake me. This isn't me pointing fingers at you. If you don't go to church anymore because you don't feel safe, this is not what I'm talking about. 
What I am talking about is for the people who are currently attending church, who have the ability to cause change, and that's everyone attending the church. It doesn't matter if you're in leadership or not. You're there for a reason. Any of those people can be a voice for justice. Any of those people can speak up when they see something's wrong. You have the ability to do that. There's a better way. There are so many organizations that actually teach security and how to handle predators. Look into it. Google it. You'll find them. They're there. Yes, it's going to cost you some money because it costs them money to fly in and teach your church things, but it's worth it. And yes, it's messy. I know. It's going to make people uncomfortable, and it's going to make people uncomfortable that you never thought it would make uncomfortable. You're probably going to be very surprised. It may be some of your most faithful tithers that literally leave because they realize they're going to have to get background checked. It's going to happen, especially if you've never done this before. It's messy. Which do you want to deal with? Do you want to get rid of a perpetrator in your church that's hurting people? Or do you just not want to hurt anybody's feelings? You have a choice. You have a decision to make. I really hope you make the right one. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Unfortunate Sandwich podcast. If at any point in this episode you felt like you needed to talk to someone, I would strongly encourage you, please, please, please contact the Crisis Text Line. They are a 24-7 service. Um, I believe they do have international hotlines. You can Google them, and there are options for them abroad as well. There is one for the United States, though. Their text line is 741-741. There are trained volunteers on the other end of the line who can answer your text within 10 minutes. All you have to do is text HELP to 741-741, and you can reach out to someone who would be willing to sit with you, uh, whether it's a depressive episode that you're having, a panic attack, or if you're trying to work out some things that you are going through. It is so important that you take care of your mental health. Uh, I understand this episode was extremely triggering to some of my listeners, so please take care of yourself. It is so important. I'm just going to be quite frank and upfront with you. I do not have the ability to answer your messages 24-7 or right away as they come in. I am only one person running this show. Um, I wish I could have that ability. Gosh, that would be amazing. I would literally be Superman. But this is why I'm sharing that line with you because they are 24-7 and you would get an answer within 10 minutes. If it's not life-threatening, if it's not an urgent need, I still want to hear from you. I always love hearing from you guys. My email is theunfortunatesandwich at gmail.com. Again, it's theunfortunatesandwich at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And again, please take care of yourselves. That's what matters to me most, guys. So thank you so much for listening in, and I will see you on another episode next week.